0: Section six of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet, translated by Marion McIntyre. Section six: The Siege of Berlin. We ascended the Avenue des Champs Elysées with Doctor V reading upon those walls pierced with shells and sidewalks dug up with grape shot, the story of the siege of paris just before we reached the rond point de l'étoile the doctor paused and pointing out to me one of those great corner houses which face the arc de triomphe with such a pompous air he said do you see those four closed windows up there over the balcony In the early part of the month of August of last year, that awful month full of storm and disaster, I was summoned to that apartment to attend a severe case of apoplexy. My patient was Colonel Juve, an old cuirassier of the First Empire. Love of country was his ruling passion, and his mistress was glory. At the beginning of the war, he had taken up quarters in the Champs-Élysées in that apartment with the balcony. Do you guess why? That he might witness the triumphal re-entry of our troops. Poor old man. The news of Wissembourg reached, reached his ears just as he was rising from table. He saw the name of Napoleon at the end of that bulletin of defeat, and the sudden shock prostrated him. When I reached the old cuirassier, he was stretched at full length upon the carpet of his room. His face gave no signs of life, but it was bleeding as if he had received a tremendous blow upon the head. Standing, he must have presented an imposing figure. As he lay there, he looked like a giant. His features were so noble, his silvery locks curled so thickly. He had such splendid teeth that this octogenarian looked scarcely more than sixty years of age. Near him knelt his granddaughter in tears, she resembled him strongly. The sight of both together suggested two beautiful Greek medals struck from the same impression, but one was old and dull, its outline somewhat worn, while the other was bright and clear-cut, having all the smoothness and brilliancy of a first impression. The child's grief touched me. Her grandfather had been a soldier, Her father, too, was a soldier, an officer of McMahon's staff, and at sight of this stately old hero prostrate, my imagination pictured a scene not less terrible. I did my best to reassure her, but at heart I felt no hope. We had to deal with a severe case of hemiplegia, and at eighty recovery is extremely doubtful. And, in fact, for three days the sick man never rallied from the stupor in which I had found him meanwhile news of the battle reichshofen had just reached paris you will remember how strangely we were deceived until evening we all believed a great victory had been gained twenty thousand prussians slain the prince royal a prisoner Through some agency scarcely less than miraculous, some echo of the nation's joy must have reached the patient, deaf and dumb though he was. Some magnetic current must have penetrated even that paralyzed frame. For that evening, when I approached his bedside, I saw that he was a new man. His eye was clear almost, his tongue no longer thick. He was able to smile, and twice he stammered, Victory! Yes, Colonel, a great victory and as I acquainted him with the details of Macmahon's glorious success, his features relaxed, his face brightened. As I was about to leave the apartment, I found the young girl waiting for me. She was weeping. But he is out of danger, I said, taking her hands in mine. The unhappy child scarcely ventured a reply. The bulletins had just announced the true story of Reichshofen, MacMahon like was retreating, the army cut to pieces. Our eyes could not conceal the consternation both felt. The child was heartbroken, she was thinking of her father. But I trembled at thought of the old man. Surely he could not survive this fresh shock. But what should we do, leave him to enjoy that happiness, those illusions which had breathed new life into him? But in that case we must feed him upon lies.' "'Very well, I will lie to him,' said the young heroine, quickly drying her eyes, and her face was wreathed in smiles when she returned to her grandfather's chamber. She had undertaken no light task. During the first days it was not so difficult a matter, for the good man's head was very weak, and he was as easily deceived as a child. But as health returned, his ideas grew clearer. It was necessary to keep him informed of the movement of the various armies and to manufacture military bulletins for him, and it was truly pitiable to see that lovely child buried night and day in a map of Germany, pinning tiny flags upon it, endeavoring to invent the details of a glorious campaign. Bazaine had advanced upon Berlin, Froissart was in Bavaria, MacMahon on the Baltic, Sometimes she consulted me, and I aided her as far as I could, but in carrying out this imaginary invasion, no one rendered us greater assistance than the grandfather himself he had conquered germany so many times during the first empire he knew every move in advance this is where they will go next this will be their next move he would say and his anticipations never failing to prove themselves correct he took not a little pride in them but alas to no avail did we take cities when battles we did not move rapidly enough to suit him That old man was simply insatiable. Every day I visited him, I heard news of some fresh exploit. Doctor, we have taken Mayence, said the young girl, advancing towards me with a heart-rending smile, and through the door I heard a joyous voice exclaiming, We move, we move, in a week more we shall enter Berlin. As a matter of fact, the Prussians would reach Paris in another week. We asked ourselves at first whether it would not be better to remove our patient from the city, but once outside of Paris the condition of France would have told him all. Moreover, he was too weak, too much benumbed from the effect of the first shock to learn the truth then. It was decided to remain. The first day of the investment of the city I climbed up to my patient's apartment. Well, I remember that day. My heart was heavy, full of anguish for the gates of Paris were closed, the enemy under her very walls and even her outskirts converted into frontiers. I found the ingenuous old man sitting up in bed, proud and jubilant. Well, he said, at last the siege has begun. I looked at him. I was stunned. Why, Colonel, I asked, how do you know that? His granddaughter glanced in my direction. Oh, yes, doctor, this is great news. The siege of Berlin has begun. And as she spoke, she plied her needle with a little affectation of composure. How should he suspect anything? Though the cannons were firing from the forts, he could not hear them. And although unhappy Paris was turned upside down and filled with gloom and forebodings, he saw nothing of it all but where he lay he could get a glimpse of the arc de triomphe and his chamber was filled with bric-a-brac of the first empire admirably fitted to nourish his illusions portraits of marshals were there engravings of battles there was a picture of the king of rome in baby robes there were tall stiff consoles ornamented with trophied brass and loaded with imperial relics medallions bronzes there was a bit of the rock of st helena under a glass globe there were numerous miniatures always representing the same lady in ballroom costume in a yellow robe with leg of mutton sleeves a pair of bright eyes glancing from beneath her carefully curled locks all these ornaments, the king of Rome, the marshals, the yellow ladies, those short-waisted high girdle figures whose stiff and artificial lines were considered the very embodiment of grace in 1806, gallant colonel, it was such things as those, it was that atmosphere of victory and conquest which far more than any words of ours made him accept the story of the siege of Berlin with such childlike simplicity from that day our military operations were far less complex to take berlin was simply a question of patience from time to time when the old man grew weary of waiting we would read him a letter from his son of course an imaginary letter for paris was cut off from the outer world then and besides since the battle of sedan McMahon's aide-de-camp was confined in a german fortress you may imagine that poor child's despair living from day to day with no news of her father but knowing that he was a prisoner deprived of everything sick perhaps imagine her agony knowing all this but compelled to speak for him to invent such joyous epistles in his behalf a trifle brief perhaps but the brevity of a soldier in the field who answers his country's cry forward and sees her arms everywhere victorious sometimes she had not the heart for these letters and then weeks passed without news but the old man would grow restless and could not sleep then a letter would at once arrive from germany and she would read it gaily at his bedside repressing her tears The colonel always listened religiously with a very wise air. He approved, criticized, explained to us here and there a passage which seemed slightly obscure. But his finest efforts were replies he sent his son. Never forget that you are a Frenchman, he would say. Be generous to these poor people. Invade their country, but not as an oppressor then followed suggestions without end, delightful twaddle concerning a right observance of propriety and what constituted courtesy towards women, in short a whole military code for the guidance of these conquerors. He added some reflections upon politics in general, and outlined the conditions of peace which must be imposed upon the vanquished. I must add that as regards the last subject his demands were not severe a war indemnity, only that. What good would it do to seize their provinces? A France could never be made out of Germany. He dictated these words with a steady voice, with such candor and such noble faith in his country that it was impossible to listen to him unmoved. And all the while the siege was progressing, not, alas, that of Berlin. There were days of severe cold, of bombardment, of epidemics and famine but thanks to our cares our efforts and all those proofs of indefatigable tenderness which were multiplied about him the old man never felt a moment's anxiety to the very end i was able to obtain white bread and fresh meat for him of course there was none for any one else and you cannot imagine anything more touching than this grandfather's breakfasts of which he partook with such innocent egotism the old man sitting up in bed fresh and smiling his napkin under his chin the granddaughter ever at his side her pale face revealing the privation she had suffered she guided his hands compelled him to drink aided him as he ate all the good things saved specially for him Enlivened by his repast, enjoying the comfort of his warm chamber, while the cold winter wind blew without, and the snow whirled about his windows, the aged cuirassier would recall his campaigns in the north, and related to us for the hundredth time the tale of that mournful retreat from Moscow, when there was no other food than frozen biscuit and horse-flesh. Do you know what that means, child? We ate horse flesh. I think she understood perfectly. She had been eating no other meat for two months. From day to day, as convalescence approached, the patient began to make our task a more difficult one. That lethargy of all his senses, of all his limbs, had aided us up to this time, but was beginning to leave him several times those terrible volleys from the porte maillot made him start suddenly his ear as alert as a hound's we were obliged to invent a final victory for brazin before berlin and to explain that the salutes in front of les invalides were in honor of the event another day when we had pushed his bed close to the window, I think it was the Thursday the Battle of boulsen occurred. He saw the National Guard quite distinctly as it formed in front of the Avenue de la Grande Armée. "'What troops are those?' asked our colonel, and we heard him mutter to himself, "'Badly drilled! Badly drilled!' Nothing came of this incident, but we realized that it now behooved us to take greater precautions than before. Unfortunately, we were not cautious enough. One evening on my arrival, the child came to me, her face full of anxiety. "'Tomorrow they enter,' she said. Was the door of the grandfather's room ajar? I do remember, and have often thought in recalling that evening, that his features wore an unusual expression— it is very likely that he had heard what we were saying but we were speaking of the prussians and he was thinking of the french army and of that triumphal entry he had been expecting for many a day Descending the avenue to martial music along a path strewn with flowers, his son at the marshal's side, and there upon the balcony the old warrior himself in full uniform, as upon the field of Lutzen, saluting the flags that had many a rent in them, and our eagles blackened with powder. Poor Father Juve! Doubtless he fancied we would not permit him to assist at that entry of our troops, anxious to spare him the excitement of so great an event. For he said nothing to any one, but the following day, just at the hour when the Prussians advanced somewhat timidly upon the long avenue leading from the porte maillot to the Tuileries, an upper window opened softly, and the colonel himself appeared upon the balcony, wearing his helmet, his long cavalry sword, and all the antiquated but glorious toggery of an old cuirassier of Milieu i still ask myself what tremendous effort of his will what sudden start of life had put him on his feet again and in all his war trappings but one fact is certain there he stood upon the balcony amazed to find the avenue so wide and still the blinds of the houses closed and Paris itself as gloomy as a vast lazaretto, flags everywhere, but strangely enough only white flags with red crosses, and no one to meet our soldiers. For a moment he must have believed he had made a mistake, but no, yonder behind the Arc de Triomphe issued an indistinct rattle, a black line advanced, steadily, into the morning light. Then by degrees the tops of helmets could be seen flashing in the sunlight, and the drums of Jena began to beat, and then beneath the Arc de l'Etoile, accented by the rhythmic tramp of the regiments and the clashing of sabres, resounded the strains of Schubert's triumphal march. Then through the dismal silence of the place was heard an awful cry, To arms, to arms, the Prussians! And the four Ulans of the advance guard, looking towards the balcony above, could see the majestic figure of an old man reeling, his arms outstretched. He fell heavily. This time the shock had indeed proved fatal. Colonel Juve was dead. End of section six